0: The following audio is from Jacob's Well Church. For more information about Jacob's Well Church, please visit www.jacobswellgb.org. Well, thanks so much uh, for letting me be here. I do want to make three comments that are not really related to this next talk, just to kind of close the loop on a few things. Uh, one is to say um, that, uh, you know, somebody said, hey, this whole idea of everybody you know. Is not good enough, not strong enough, and not happy enough. And um, that's absolutely true. And so everybody you know wants to hear the gospel. They just don't know it. They think the gospel has nothing to do with them. And uh, so starting with those categories, you know, nobody's out there saying, I wish I had someone who could justify me, sanctify me, and glorify me. Nobody's using that language, they're not using those categories. But when the church talks about justification, sanctification, and glorification, that's what we're talking about, is Jesus making us good enough and Jesus making us strong enough to grow in holiness and Jesus one day in glory wiping away every tear so that forever we're happy enough to enjoy every good gift he gives. And um, so everybody you know wants to hear about Jesus. They just don't want you to be bored with him when you talk about him. Yeah, Um, second thought. I told you a story about a young man whose marriage was in difficulty uh, two weeks into his marriage because of a a drug issue. Um, God is able to work powerfully and heal Uh, broken lives and broken relationships that young man and his wife have a very healthy and strong marriage. Now they have several children, and he is a church planter in South Carolina uh, with a really strong testimony. Um, And so uh, my third thought is uh, over the whole weekend, I've gotten chances here and there to talk with some of you and to hear stories about what God is doing in your life right now, what he's done in the past, how he's at work, how you need him, how uh, he has met you just at the place of your need, and um it is an incredible thing to to hear about that. so thank you for letting me be a little part of what God is doing in your world and your life um, and so let me wrap up with this thought uh. I've I've been able to do a few men's retreats this year and God is doing something big. I don't know what he's up to. But um I've never been around groups of men this one included who are so keen to to love Christ and to see some really deep change happen not only in their lives personally, but in the lives of other people that they know. Um, and so I'm picking up on that here. Uh, Wisconsin Presbytery is healthy, maybe one of the healthiest presbyteries in our whole denomination. Um, and, uh, but there are other groups of men like this. And so C.S. Lewis would have said, Aslan is on the move. And so if you don't know that story, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, um, find a grandchild and read it to them. Um, So yeah, Jesus is at work. So thanks for letting me see his work among you over, it feels like a weekend, but it's just been a few hours if we think about it, right? It's Crazy. Okay, so today we're going to ask a very practical question. We want to be like Christ. We want to grow into men who reflect Christ-like character. And um, how does that happen? How do real people grow as imitators of Christ? And um, so that it's not just an idea we get excited about every once in a while, and then it fades into oblivion. But, but where does this touch down in reality? Um, how do we overcome that sense that, I'm not the kind of person who could become like Jesus because that's just for a small group of really special people and I'm not one of them. How can a real person become like Christ? And um, so we'll we'll start with a question which is um, whose name goes in the blank if I say I want to be like if I could be like, you know the old commercial? Some of you aren't old enough to remember this commercial, and others of you are. And so it's little kids singing, right? Like, if I could be like Michael Jordan, right? Everybody wants to be like Mike, and at that time, everybody did. And um, I thought it was a Nike commercial. It's actually not. I don't know if you remember what they were selling. What were they selling? Gatorade. Yeah. And um, it's all a lie, of course. I could drink all the Gatorade I want, and I ain't going to be like Mike. You know? I, I can't even dribble a basketball, let alone fly on a basketball court. And uh, it is a lie for you to tell me that there is anything I can put inside my body that will make me like Mike. You know, I could be drinking the same product he drinks. That's the only way I would be like Mike. So that's kind of a fantasy, right? And um, there's, there's this moment that says, you know, that's kind of what it's like to be like Christ. I want to be like Christ. I wish I could be like Christ. But where's the Gatorade? Where's the thing I could drink that would just make it happen? Well, there's... Let's answer that question. Let's look at a few passages from Luke's gospel. We're going to focus on one and then we'll use others to illustrate uh, and see how does, how does Jesus' ministry itself answer that question. What is it that Jesus has done that will help real people be transformed into his likeness. We're going to start in Luke chapter 22, verse 24. Now, 22, that means we're pretty deep into this gospel. That means we're pretty deep into the last week of Jesus's life. And in fact, we're just hours away from his betrayal and arrest And crucifixion. Uh, This is what you and I would know as a Thursday night. And Jesus is gathered in the upper room with his disciples. uh, The sun has set. So a new day has started. And it is the beginning of the Passover feast. And it's time to celebrate that meal. And um, just after... The celebration of the meal. Uh, Jesus says something. That makes the disciples start to think. He says. One of you is going to betray me. And they begin to ask. Which one it might be. And that's where our text picks up. Also. A dispute arose among them. As to which of them was considered to be greatest. The logic seems to be. We're wondering who's going to betray Jesus. And if I could make the case that I'm the greatest. That eliminates me as a suspect. Right. So whoever it is. It's probably going to be. One of the guys who's low on the totem pole. So let's say who's not low on the totem pole. And by process of elimination. Maybe we can figure this thing out. So they're discussing who's going to betray Jesus, and that leads to this dispute among them, an argument. The NIV translates it question among themselves, but yeah, okay, uh, verse 24, sorry, a dispute arose among them as to which of them was considered to be greatest. And Jesus said to them, the kings of the Gentiles lord it over them, and those who exercise authority over them call themselves benefactors. Today we'd say major donors. But you are not to be like that. Instead, the greatest among you should be like the youngest and the one who rules like the one who serves. For who is greater, the one who is at the table or the one who serves? Isn't it the one who's at the table? But I am among you. As one who serves. Did you hear what Jesus just said? I want you to be like me. The leader among you should be like a servant. Not like the master, the slave owner who's reclining at the table, but like the slave who's bringing the food. You should be like that. And you know why I'm telling you that? Because I'm like that. That's what Jesus is saying. I want you to be like the one who serves. And here I am in your midst like the one who serves. What you see in my life ought to be what I see in your life. Take up your cross and follow me. Where I go, you go. What pattern you see in my life, let's see it in yours. That, that same imitation mindset or Christ likeness. So here's a call to Christ likeness. How is that actually going to happen? The disciples are apparently real people. Because at the worst possible moment. They are interested in who is greatest. I mean, here's Jesus saying, one of you is going to betray me. And he's already said, we read the passage this morning, that I'm going to be betrayed and ultimately it's going to lead to me being killed. So look, guys, that whole chain of events is just about to get set into motion. I am just a few hours away from being Killed. And then hear the disciples say, oh, this is a good time for us to debate who's the greatest. You know, Jesus, can we put your life crisis on hold for a minute? Can we put the salvation of the planet on hold for a minute? Ken? And let's figure out, I mean, really, when it comes down to it, I'm a little bit better than this guy. I scored higher on the J-S-A-T than anybody else. Really, I'm the sharpest disciple you ever had, right? Of all the vast number of twelve disciples you ever had, <laughs> I'm the great. Apparently these are real guys. What is Jesus offering to real people that would help them help us become like Him? Well here's what He's not offering. He's not offering us an easy way out. He doesn't offer us a sort of pacifistic let go and let God approach. Because he's calling for something that's really, really difficult. How difficult is it? Look at the process he walks them through. The kings of the Gentiles aren't like this. The kings of the Gentiles don't have the kind of character I want to see in you. And those who exercise authority in the Greek and Roman world They're not good role models of what I want to see in your life. So everything you know about leadership is telling you the wrong stuff. The world around you, your culture, the leadership models you see in every nation you know are pointing you in the wrong direction. It is not going to be easy to counteract that. You can't just take a let go and let God approach and think this is going to take care of itself. And then he says, not only the, the leadership models around you, but even your family model. The greatest among you should be like the youngest. Who wants to be the baby brother? Answer, well, nobody really, especially in that culture. Everything they know about greatness that they've seen in their family models, their family structures, says, I want to be greater, I want to be older, I don't want to be less, I don't want to be younger. So this thing is not going to be easy. Everything Jesus is saying to them, it goes against every leadership model they've seen in the secular world around them. It goes against the model they've seen in their very families and homes on a day-to-day basis. And it goes against... Their culture, even as it expresses itself in something as mundane as eating a meal. Who is greater? The one who's at the table or the one who's bringing the food? So here's Jesus saying, hey guys, I have a proposal for you. I want you to do something that's the absolute opposite of every signal you've ever been sent your whole life. Every political signal you've ever heard sent said go for first place. Get as much prestige as you can. Get recognized. But get your name put up on a building as the major donor, the benefactor. You be the Lord. You be the master. Don't ever be the servant. You put yourself in first place. Oh, and hey, guys that same signal has been sent in your household, in your family, every day since you were born. So instead of wanting to be that oldest brother, instead of wanting to be the one in charge, I want you to be the run of the litter. I want you to do something that goes against every signal you've been sent your whole life. Every time you eat a meal, every time you see somebody eat in our world, first century world, it's sending the signal. Man, I don't want to be like that guy right over there serving the food. I want to be like that guy who's got it made. Feet kicked up, laying on a couch, somebody bringing it. That's who I want to be when I grow up. And Jesus is saying, hey, guys, let's flip all that on its head. This is not going to be easy. A let go and let God approach is not going to do this. Because he's asking us to swim upstream. If we float, we're just going to go right with the stream. We're just going to keep on loving ourselves more than anybody else. Put me first, me first, me first, me first. I'm best, I'm greatest. I've got it made. I'm better than that guy. If we take it easy, we're just going to be caught along with the stream. Jesus is saying go upstream. <clears throat> but there's another approach that isn't going to work. If we want to become Christ-like, we can't just sort of sit back and take it easy and wait for it to happen. We've got to swim upstream. But another approach that won't get us there is the just tell me what to do and I'll do it approach. Let go and let God's not going to work. Do as you're told isn't going to work either. Now, how do we know that? Here's how we know it. This is the first time Jesus has told these guys this stuff. This is the first time they've ever argued about who's greatest. And he's had to correct them on it. No, it's not. <clears throat> Even in Luke's gospel in chapter nine, this has happened before. So they're walking along the road and... Um, Luke 9, 46 says this. An argument started among the disciples as to which of them would be the greatest. What? Okay, over in 22, it's called a dispute, not an argument. And in 22, the question isn't about who would be the greatest. In 22, it's a question about who seems to be or who is considered the greatest. Look, I'll just settle for everybody thinking I'm hot stuff, even if I'm not. (laughs) Right, But this is the second time in Luke's gospel. And once we put in the other stories from other gospels, this is probably the third or fourth time Jesus has had this conversation with the disciples. He has told them this before. So apparently, just tell me and I'll do it isn't going to work for us. Real people are so committed to sin that you can't just tell us what to do And we'll stop on a dime and switch. Disciples are real people. We know this is the case because it happens throughout Jesus' ministry. Lawyer comes to Jesus, Luke chapter 10. He says, what's the greatest commandment? Jesus says, you tell me, what do you think? Oh, that's easy. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind and strength. Jesus is nodding his head. Yep. Love your neighbor yourself. Jesus is nodding his head. Yep. You got it. Just do that. <laughs> and you know what the guy asked, right? Um, <clears throat> but who's my neighbor? The scripture tells me to love my neighbor, but I don't want to love my neighbor. Aren't there some people I can hate? Can't we shrink down this category of neighbor so I don't really have to love Everybody. You see what's going on in that text is the word has told this guy exactly what to do, but he doesn't want to do it. So just telling him what to do isn't going to generate the right response. Luke chapter 18, rich young ruler comes to Jesus. You know this story too. Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Hey, you know the commandments. And then the guy rattles, you know, he's like, I've done all those things since I was little. Jesus says, OK, sell everything you own and follow me, sell it, give to the poor and follow me. I mean, it can't get more clear than that. The son of God looking you in the eye and telling you step by step exactly what to do. Right. There's no mystery. You know, it's not use the false Luke. You know, it it's it's spelled out in detail. Sell everything you own, give the money to the poor, and then come follow me. You can't say, well it was unclear to me exactly. You know, when your ki- you know your kids do that, you know, hey buddy, would you uh, mow the grass while I'm gone this weekend? You get back, the grass is still knee high and like, "Oh, you meant me?" <laughs> Okay, there's no excuse, right? It's perfectly clear. But, but the point is, as you read the Gospels, telling someone what to do isn't enough. Because when our wanter is broken, you can tell me the right thing to do, but if I don't want to do it, I don't want to love my neighbor. I don't, wanna, I don't want to give up my idol of money. I don't want... To become like the one who serves, so let God let go and let God approach ain't going to work we 're just going to get swept down the river. Jesus is asking us to swim upstream, and a just tell me what to do approach isn't going to work either what 's it going to take it 's going to take something way stronger than that <clears throat> What's going on here is, is Jesus is basically saying, I want you to fight gravity, right? I want you to swim upstream. I want you to go against everything you know. It is a stupid thing to try to shoot a rocket into space, right? Everything is, is on the side of gravity, take millions of pounds of metal and say, you know what? We want to fight the gravity of our entire planet and get this thing thousands of miles out there. Let's do it. What? Okay, fine. Let's do it. But how are we going to do it? We're going to build the thing right. We're going to wire it right. We're going to Check everything, triple check everything. We're going to get the best engineers in the world. We're going to put everything together. We're going to roll that thing out on the launch platform. We're going to count down and we're going to sit and we're going to watch and it's going to, it ain't going to go anywhere. Until we put some fuel in the tank. Three million pounds of fuel. That's what it takes to get the, took to get the space shuttle into orbit three million pounds of fuel. And that's what it's like with with us. Jesus is asking us to to fight gravity. And if you want to do that, you better put some strong fuel in the tank. Don't put unleaded, right? Three million pounds of high-grade, world's best rocket fuel. Let's see how Jesus does that. Listen to his logic. Hey, guys. Let's do this. Let's put the kings of the Gentiles over here on this side. They behave one way. Let's put those who exercise authority among them over here on this side. They do life one way. Let's put the pattern of youngest, oldest that you've seen in your family growing up over here. Because that works one way. Let's put everything you know about eating meals and masters and slaves and slaves and slave owners. And and let's put all that on one side. Because that's how the whole world works. And that's how it's always been as long as you've ever known. Let's put everything in your world on one side. And everything in your world says don't be like Jesus. Everything in your world says just keep the focus on you. It's all about you. You be the greatest. You hate your neighbor. You love only the people you want to love. You love money more than anything else. You, you, you. Do what you want. It's all about you. Everything is saying that. And then what does Jesus put on the other side of the scale? He puts one thing. He, he walks them through all of that. And then he says. But I. I. I'm among you like one who serves. You hear his logic? Hey, guys, it's hard to be like me. I'm asking you to fight gravity. I'm asking you to launch millions of pounds into outer space, and it's going to be really hard. I'm asking you to do something that does not come naturally to you. But I'm, let me put some fuel in your tank. And here's what Jesus says. I weigh more than the rest of the world put together. That's his logic, isn't it? I put everything you know on this side. And I am gonna put one thing over here. Me. And poof, I will win every time. How can you become like Jesus? And the answer is Jesus outweighs the world. That's the only way you and I can become like Christ. It's because he really does matter more than everything else put together. And when we begin. To really believe that when we begin to know. The most important thing about me is Jesus. The most important thing that ever happened in this world is Jesus. He weighs more than everything else put together. Now, now the fuel is in the tank. And the Holy Spirit is the fire. And the Spirit (laughs) hits the ignition and begins to burn that, that fuel of a Christ who weighs more than everything else put together. It's not just this passage. Paul uses this logic in Romans chapter 8. He says. um, If God is for us who can be against us. And then he says. For he who did not spare his own son. But graciously gave him up for us all. How will he not also along with him give us all things. One day, Paul is saying, God is going to give us everything. He's going to give us the new heavens and the new earth. He's going to give us a redeemed universe. We're going to be the co-heirs with Jesus of this redeemed universe. How do we know God is willing to give us all of that? We know it because God has already given us something worth even more than all of that. How do you know your dad will probably give you a $10 bill if he gave you a $100 bill already? That's Paul's logic. We know God will give us all things because he's already given us his son and his son is worth more than everything else put together. How do I know that I could become one who is Christ-like, passionate for God's priorities, passionate to find misery and, and go in with mercy? And so, How do I know that I could become the kind of person who, 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 who denies himself rather than defining himself? How do I know that I could become the kind of person who would willingly take the lowest place rather than the highest place? Take the place of the servant rather than the place of the boss? The place of the custodian rather than of the CEO? How do I know I could become like that? And the answer is, Jesus is worth more to me than everything else. Jesus is worth more than the whole world put together. And that, that's the only hope we have. I may not be able to become like Mike. But you and I can become like Christ. Because he really does way more than the rest of the world put together. Why? Why do we think of him that way? Listen to what he says. I am among you. As one who serves, I am among you as one who serves. Scholars debate exactly what Jesus is talking about here. One who serves is Jesus saying, "I've just served the the Lord's supper. I've I've given you food and drink, and um, I'm I'm like one who serves." Or similar language in Mark chapter 10, verse 45. Jesus said, the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to lay down his life as a ransom for many. So maybe by, I am like the one who serves, maybe Jesus means I'm getting ready to lay down my life as a ransom for many. Some people say, I am among you as one who serves, seems to gather up all of Jesus' whole ministry in one big swoop and say, this is the pattern you've seen my whole life. However we answer that question, we're going to wind up at the same place. Because when Jesus passes around bread and wine, it's pointing forward to his death. When Jesus lays down his life as a ransom for many, it's at the cross through his Death. Everything about Jesus' whole life and ministry was building up to this climax of what happened at the cross. Jesus means more to us than the whole world put together because he is the only one who ever gave his life for us to redeem us from sin, to bring us back to his Father. Um, I didn't think this way when I was first married. Because there wasn't enough water under the bridge, but now there is. Um, <clears throat> it's a little easier to fight temptation now to uh, think about other women. Because all I have to do now is start asking some questions. How many women in the world have moved across an ocean just to be with me? Only one. When I went to Scotland to study for a PhD, there was only one woman on the face of this planet who moved there with me. And when I came back, she came back with me. Only one woman who has ever loved me that way. Why would I love another? There's only one woman who's ever listened to me confess my deepest, darkest, secret sins and still kept loving me anyway. Why would I love anybody else? There's nobody else who loved me that way. There's only one woman who's given birth to my children, faithfully, patiently loved them. That's the kind of logic that this text is using. Why would we go after any other pattern of living than the one we see in our Savior? Because nobody else ever loved us this way. Nobody else. The whole universe never laid down its life for me or for you. I'm having a hard time loving neighbors who aren't just like me. Hey, you know what? White guys from the South never laid down their life to take away my sin. I'm having a hard time letting go of the idol of money. Hey, you know what? My bank account, (laughs) it ain't done nothing for me. A dollar bill never shed blood to make me right with God. Why would I love that more than Jesus? That pedestal I want so desperately to be on so everybody will see I'm greater, I'm the greatest. That pedestal, that pedestal never did anything for me or anybody else. But Jesus did. That's fuel in the tank, guys. That's fire right there. That will will make us become like Christ. When we understand he is the only one who's ever loved us this way. And he weighs more than the rest of the world put together. And I don't care what your track record is. He weighs more than your track record. You might be sitting here thinking, yeah, I've been trying to be like Jesus longer than you've been alive, preacher. And I'm not there yet. And I want to say, I I suspect Jesus knows that. And he still thinks he weighs more than the rest of the world put together. He weighs more than your track record, whether it's good, bad, or somewhere in between. He outweighs it. And that's not my word, that's his word. You heard the logic of the text, right? Take everything you know from the kings of the Gentiles and put it over here. Take everything you know about youngest and oldest, put it over here. Take everything you know about the master who dines and the slave who brings the food. Put it over here. Take everything you think you know and put it over here. And I am among you like the one who serves. Put anything you want on that side. I weigh more than it does. Take the fact that Jesus has told you before not to argue about who's greatest and you keep doing it anyway. He outweighs it. (laughs) He weighs more than that. So it really is possible for real people to grow and be like Christ because he weighs more than the rest of the world put together. And he is the only one who has ever loved us enough to lay down his life for us. That's the fuel, that's the fire it gets that rocket off the ground even though gravity's still trying to pull it down okay that's good to know so what do we do now what do we do now what would real people do tomorrow if they wanted to be more like Jesus i'm going to suggest 3 Practical strategies. The first one is to do what he's asking us to do in this passage meditate on who he is and what he has done. Isn't that what he's saying? Hey guys, I'm among you like the one who serves. Focus on me, meditate on me, get to know who I am, get to know my service, my serving. Meditate on me, who I am, and what I've done. Now, where are you and I going to do that? Well, you know the answer. If it weren't for the Bible, we wouldn't have any clear testimony about who Jesus is and what he does. So we go to God's word, and we say, I need help. Gravity's pulling me down. I need more fuel in my tank. Show me Jesus. Holy Spirit, show me Jesus. Sometimes I get lost. I don't know what to do. The Bible seems complicated. Um, It seems like just a professional book for me sometimes. So I take out a notebook and I write a question at the top of the page. Jesus, why do I love you? And I just open it up and I start reading and I answer that question. I love you because... Nobody else ever laid down their life for me. I love you because you had the courage to look that guy in the eye and say, this woman needs to be healed right now. I love you because, I love you because. I Figure out how to see Jesus every time you open this book. Even the parts where you don't see him real clearly. Okay? You read, I'm just flipping, right? I've, where are we at? 2 Kings chapter 15. Amaziah, king of Judah, was 16. He did what was right in the eyes of the Lord. Mm. The high places, however, were not removed. The people continued to offer sacrifices and burn incense there. The Lord afflicted the king with leprosy until the day he died. Where is Jesus in all that? Well, here's what I see. the people of Israel worshiping other gods under a king who isn't completely faithful. Where's Jesus in that? Jesus is the faithful king. They need it all along. We need it all along. Jesus is that king. Jesus is the only one who could wipe out the idolatry of his people. Anytime you read the Old Testament and you see something going wrong, Jesus is the answer to it. Whatever it was that went wrong, Jesus is the answer. So when you read and you don't see Jesus, but you see something going wrong, you're seeing Jesus. Because he's the answer to whatever went wrong. Or you read and you see Jesus being kind to a sinful person. Jesus is the only reason God could ever be kind to a sinner. So no matter where you are in this book, you're reading about Jesus, even if you don't realize it. You want to become like Jesus? You got to love Jesus. You want to love Jesus? You got to meditate on who he is and what he's done. You want to do that? This is where we do it. This is the filling station. You you drive the rocket up. (laughs) You know, get out the hose, stick it in the gas tank, make sure you take the gas off first, and and then, okay, Lord Jesus, I need more fuel in my tank because gravity is sure pulling hard on me today. Show me one more time. Because you know what, I'm dumb and I forgot it. You showed me yesterday and it's leaked out. There's a hole in the bottom of my tank. Thankfully, his tank is infinitely full, and he is quite happy to fill you up every day. He's quite happy to fill you up every hour if you need it. Some of us think it's like being a Christian is like being a camel. Like I go on the retreat in this big long drink of water and then I can walk across the desert. No problem. No, being a Christian is like being a hummingbird. Mm, I'm out of energy. i mm, out of energy. Mm, that, that's welcome to being a believer. <laughs> right? You're a hummingbird, not a camel. This is a big red flower. Drink often, drink deeply. But not just because we want to know the Bible and memorize facts, but because we need... Fuel in the tank. And we need to see Jesus. And he's here. Everywhere. So that's strategy number one. You want to be like Jesus. Meditate on who he is. Meditate on what he's done. Every time your church serves the Lord's Supper. For some of you that's going to be once a month. For some of you once a week. Um, meditate on who he is and what he's done. Every time you chew. Every time you swallow. Every time you drink. As part of the Lord's Supper. he's He is saying, I want you to know who I am. I am every bit as real in your life in your world as this bread, as this wine. Meditate on him. You want to be like Jesus. Pray. Ask him. Pray. Jesus. Maybe your first prayer is, Jesus, I don't know how to pray. That's all right. He knows how to listen even to people who don't know how to talk. You were like that at one time, right? With your kids. When they're just trying to figure it out and they can't put two words together straight. But you listened to them even though they didn't know how to talk. Yeah. Say, Jesus, gravity's pulling hard today. I need you. Jesus, I I wasn't very courageous today. Forgive me. Pray. Talk to him. And here's my last piece of practical advice. If you want to be like Jesus, spend time with other people who want to be like Jesus. You you won't grow in Christ-likeness if you try to do it by yourself. We need each other. It takes all of us to um, even begin to reflect the character of Christ adequately. Some of us are strong one day and weak the next. Thankfully, we're never all weak on the same day in the same way. And so be with other people who like to be like Jesus. Um, It'll help. I remember Ben, this may have been your, I think this was our covenant group, maybe the first time we met this happened, um, Ben said this, no I'm kidding, Ben didn't say, it. it was another guy, I won't name him, but you may remember the, the moment, so this is our first meeting, first year students, maybe been in seminary like eight weeks because they took summer Greek, and uh This one guy comes in and he's just like, oh, man, I'm so overwhelmed. My spiritual life is in the toilet. I haven't read the Bible in weeks. I've been so busy trying to learn Greek and keep up with my studying, my reading. And I, you know, I just I'm not loving my wife real well. I'm not leading devotions at home with my kids. I can't remember the last time I prayed just yesterday. I was meeting with these guys there's three guys who live in my apartment. And once a week we get together to pray together. And and I was telling them how long it's been since I prayed. And I was like, hang on, hang on. Wait a minute. Stop. You're telling me it's been weeks since you prayed. Yep, yep, that's right. And you're telling me that once a week you meet with these guys to pray. pray. Yep, yep. Oh. Oh, you see what what was happening in that moment was this young guy realizing. I, I think that what I do together with other believers doesn't count. The only kind of spiritual growth and vitality that counts is what I do by myself. And because I haven't been praying by myself, I haven't really been praying. Even though I've been praying once a week with brothers And what I want to say is, of course, it's a both end, right? But here's the deal. We need each other to fuel the alone time. My own experience has been when I'm at my best spiritually, it's when I am most regularly getting together with other people who want to grow. Whether that's once a week, once every two or three weeks, Once every four to five weeks, I was able to meet with my mentor that often. Wish it could have been more, but we lived about 90 minutes apart. So every few weeks we'd get together. And don't fall into that trap of thinking it only counts if I do it by myself. It only counts if I'm trying to grow to be like Jesus all on my own. (coughs) Never interacting with other people who want to be like Jesus. That's not scriptural. The scriptural model is Jesus is the head and we're the body. And as the body, we, we've got to be together. Body parts aren't healthy if they get isolated from one another. If one part of the body is isolated from another, it's time to go to the emergency room. Right? That's not healthy. Healthy people don't go to the ER. Uh, can real people be like Jesus? The answer is absolutely yes, but not if we're trying to do it on our own, by ourselves, in our own strength. That space shuttle will never launch itself. But if you put fuel in, fuel in the tank, something that outweighs the force of gravity, something that outweighs everything else put together. The space shuttle does not weigh 3 million pounds. The fuel weighs more than the rocket. Jesus weighs more than we do. And because he outweighs the rest of the world, it really is possible for real people to grow and be like him. Let's pray together. Our Lord Jesus. Thank you for your clear teaching. Thank you for your patience with disciples. First century disciples who could hear you say clearly what you require and then forget it. And need to hear it over and over again. Thank you for your patience with 21st century disciples who are just the same way. Thank you for your mercy and grace. And thank you for reminding us that even if it seems impossible to become like the one who serves, you're not in the habit of asking us to do what uh, would paralyze us or crush us or send us into despair. If you call us to be like you, then you will also give us the resources we need for that growth to happen. You have given it in your death on the cross, in your Holy Spirit. You have given it in your word. You have given it in the promises that you will hear our prayers. You have given it in the brotherhood that we share with fellow believers. May we receive what you have given. We thank you in advance for how you're going to work in our lives. And we look forward to growing to be like you and watching the next generations after us of young men grow up and uh, into Christ-like character. In your name we pray, amen.